mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello. Welcome to another bright and beautiful episode of Telling Everybody Everything. My current husband, Bobby Kay, is not home. He has taken himself to the golf course once again a persistent fellow that he is he keeps getting caught under trees you know i don't think you're meant to stand under trees in a lightning storm but thankfully britain's rain is just like an electricity free monsoon and he hurts his back and he gets all wet and then he comes home and uh, does it again i don't really understand i will never truly understand men that's fine. Don't want to. Not interested. I know enough. I've seen enough. I know enough. I dealt with an older man in my neighborhood yesterday who, oh, bless him, you can just tell that some of the grandparents of the world are missing human connection, and I'm glad they're starting to get that back. Basically, what happened is I have several dogs, each weighing under two kilos, the naughtiest of which is probably... Manny, the naughtiest of whom? Yes, whom? Probably Manny. He's a Yorkshire Terrier, so you know he's northern. He's got a real fighting spirit. He's really adventurous, mischievous. He goes out into the garden, and if there's any little hole in the fence, he wants to explore. So he finds a hole. Uh, These are dug by foxes. I don't really know. They dig under the fence. They dig through the fence. Our garden is raining foxes. We can't keep them out. And we don't want to hurt them. So, like, we just coexist with the foxes, even though they break the fence. So Manny goes through. The other two come in. I can't see Manny. I'm thinking, fuck me. He's through the fence again. And what he doesn't realize about himself, like a few, you know, hyped up Yorkshire men I've met, is that he's very small and very wiry and gray. And he wouldn't actually win the fights that he thinks that he can win. So I don't want him out with wildlife. I think, you know, I hate to tell you this. Okay, if you really love dogs, like Jen, if you're listening, please just don't listen for the next 60 seconds. But in Canada, where we do have more birds of prey, I sadly witnessed my friend's dog being carried off by a hawk. And I mean, that's not a great way to go. And I worry. I know that's not probably going to happen in London, but I still worry about it. The crows... And pigeons are getting bigger. They're growing in strength in the pandemic. So anyway, Manny's fucking gone. I look in the cameras. I'm like, well, where is there like any evidence 
Finally, I go out myself and I spot this hole in the fence. And I'm like, oh, Christ. So I look over the garden wall. He's in the neighbor's garden. And I go, Manny, Manny. He looks at me. He sees me. Doesn't give a shit. He just trolls around exploring. And then he finds a hole in their fence and goes yet another garden. I couldn't hop over the fence in time. Now he's several gardens away. And I'm like, oh, God, I have to go get Violet. We exit through the front door of the house. And then we go down the road. We guess that he might be at this older man's house who has a beautiful garden. And he's two doors down. So we're like, we'll start there. We ring the bell. This man is lovely. Michael, dying for a chat, brings us into the garden. And I'm worried. I have a real sense of urgency about my voice and about my Victoria's Secret satin short pajama set that I was wearing at the time. I just want to find my dog and go. And Michael's like, this is a magnolia tree. This one I imported from Spain. These flowers are bluebells. This part of the garden I landscaped myself. And I was like, Michael, with all due respect, love hearing about the garden. Gotta find my dog. I'm calling a Manny, 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 Manny. No Manny, no Manny. Finally, Violet and I are trying to peel ourselves away from dear, very, very talented horticulturalist Michael telling us about, oh, I don't know, wildflowers. I don't really, I'm focused on finding the dog. And then Manny strolls up behind us, just out of nowhere, no barking, zero noise. Oh, there, we found Manny. So now Manny's found. The sense of urgency is gone. I sat in the garden with Michael for a while and I spoke about the flowers. But what an adorable man is my takeaway from that. I didn't really know Michael before Manny went missing. And now I have volunteered Violet to go litter picking with him. That is uh, a check I wrote that my actions can't cash. There's no way Violet's going litter picking with him. But he does it on his own. What a wonderful man. If you live in North London and you care about the earth, come visit Michael. Reach out to me. I'll give you his deets because <laughs> he's a fun guy with a great garden. Oh, and he doesn't like Bobby Kay. That's the twist. He doesn't like Bobby Kay because Bobby Kay's leaf blower uses petrol from Saudi. And also Bobby Kay was stripping paint from the front fence one time and that dried paint was blowing around. And that's not good for nature. And I was like, look, Michael, you give me a day in Britain that's not windy. And that's the day that we'll do our home improvements. But until then, I'm sorry, we can't control like little bits of paint that go blowing around. Bobby did his best. And he's like, well, what's Bobby's hole about? What's that hole in the back of the garden? Tell me, tell me about the hole. What is it with men in the hole? On a much, much more serious note, there's a group of men. I mean, I can only assume that there are men paying for a full ad published in the New York Times Saturday Uh, bullying young women. I'm sorry. I know that there's a greater cause. There's this terrible conflict. And a lot of people don't even like to call it a conflict. I'm not going to get into exactly what's going on. Like, I'm a comedian. So there's an ad in the New York Times that says Bella, Gigi, and Dua with pictures of these three young women, young women in their early 20s, by the way, who have spoken out about Um, genocide and Palestinian rights and just human rights in general to say that everyone's entitled to life, liberty, and safety. These are young women in their 20s. And it says, Bella, Gigi, and Dua, with pictures of them. Hamas calls for a second Holocaust. Condemn them now. It's like, whoa, are you calling for any men to condemn Hamas? Are you, has anyone else 
really got your attention this week that you feel like making an example of with a photograph, which I feel is a real incitement against these women and quite dangerous, really. And then there's an article all about, you know, this funded, paid for viewpoint that ran the ad, you know, what's going on and just being like these three young women, oh, fix this, fix this very long-term problem, Dua Lipa, writer of the song New Rules, Grammy winner, Dua Lipa. Hey, these model sisters, like it's, it feels like weirdly targeted at the Hadid family specifically because I think Dua Lipa was or is dating Bella and Gigi's brother Anwar. I don't know. I don't, but why take three young women in entertainment and make them the face of this, accuse them of anti-Semitism? This is paid for by the World Values Network. And I just feel like I think you're barking up the wrong tree. Do you put three young girls on your ad because you think they're not strong enough to fight you back? They won't say anything? Is your problem with their father, like developer Mohammed Hadid, but you don't want to, you know, I'm just going to put his like two little girls and their friends. Like, I hate to call them little girls, but to me, early 20s, like to put their faces next to accusations of anti-Semitism and Hamas and it just feel they're not politicians. They're not involved. They're just trying to wear lingerie in a goddamn fashion show and sing amazing pop songs. It just feels like this is not your fight. I guess I just feel like the New York Times being able to run that as an impartial ad, it just kind of bananas to me. But journalism can be really gross. And then we've seen in the news this week all about the very iconic BBC panorama interview featuring Princess Diana. Prince William has come out and been like, my mother was coaxed into that interview and the things that she said in it, I'm sure she didn't mean and it should be disregarded. It should never be aired again. If you've seen this BBC Martin Bashir interview pop up in the news again, maybe you've seen it in your social media, but you haven't looked into it because you're like, all right, I've had enough of the royal stuff lately. The royal stuff is everywhere now, isn't it? Because it started with Meghan and Harry and all that bullying and then them going to America and then the Oprah interview. And now Harry's talking about mental health and people say, well, how come he can use uh, adequate language to describe his mental health? That just shows he's had too much therapy. I mean, anyone who's had any therapy listens to the words that they like. And they're not crazy words. There'll be words like, oh, you know, did you feel abandonment then? And have you done some growth since then? And then you learn those words. You go, oh, yeah, now I can articulate the abandonment and the isolation I felt. And I've experienced growth. since. Like, it's not rocket science. And sorry, everyone in L.A. gets therapy. Therapists get therapy in L.A. Like, get therapy. How the hell Britain? I mean, I know there are financial issues and don't get me started on that. But if you can afford therapy, there's no reason why you shouldn't be in therapy. Like, at least once in a while, it can't hurt you to have an educated, neutral third party just listening to your life and giving you advice. I mean, damn. But if you haven't been paying attention, you don't know what this Princess Diana story is about. I will tell you now, I'm telling everybody everything in my own little way. And then hopefully you're au fait with the stuff. So, 
BBC aired an interview um, on the show they had on BBC One called Panorama. It was November 20th, 1995 was the day Diana broke ranks from the royal family and participated in this interview with Martin Bashir. Who's Martin Bashir? Well, you might know him as the British journalist who interviewed Michael Jackson in that very famous one. He said he loved Diana, though, and he never intended to harm her by doing the interview um, which now we're saying was obtained by deceitful means. So everyone was queuing up to interview Diana at this point. She was really being hounded by the press already. Her relationship with Charles was falling apart. She was the people's princess, Princess Diana. Everybody wanted to talk to her. There's been a whole independent inquiry which has found that the BBC covered up deceitful behavior by Bashir to obtain this interview before everyone else. What is the deceitful behavior? Well, they're saying that he showed fake bank statements. He had Diana thinking that he had contacts inside the MI5 and basically put her in a state of fear and trepidation about her safety that made her feel like she was speaking out. So she didn't speak out just because, you know, she wanted attention or she wanted to get her story out there. She was fearful that she was a target. So she spoke, according to this inquiry, to, you know, secure her own well-being. Personally, I'm not really sure how that means, even if it was true, that means everything she said in the interview was a lie, though. I mean, it's obviously quite evil to whip up someone's existing fear about being a target of a huge organization. But I mean, I think a lot of us got that story. That, And I think a lot of women, even if you're not married into the royal family, you do feel fearful during the breakdown of your marriage, especially when there are kids involved and you're afraid of your mother-in-law. The Panorama interview was nine months before Diana's divorce was finalized. And then, of course, her subsequent death in 1997, I think maybe less than a year even after the interview is when she died. In the interview, Diana answered loads of questions related to everything, like eating disorders, self-harm, her own affair and unfaithfulness to Charles, his very well-documented involvement with Camilla, the lack of support that she felt from the royal family, which is familiar. And she said in the interview that during the last three years of the marriage breakdown, she had felt misunderstood and she just wanted to help clear the air towards a more positive future for everyone. So the palace didn't like this, obviously. Her HRH titles were taken away and the divorce proceedings began. Prince William wants this interview to be never aired again. He cites it as being responsible for his mother's growing paranoia and isolation that she endured leading up to her tragic death. And I mean, these young men are going to deal with the loss of their mother through whatever narrative helps heal their souls and their brains. I mean, it's just awful. Harry deals with it differently to William, and they seem still at odds over how they're dealing with it. But I mean, the take the boys aside, you know, whatever they ha have to work through is their business. But the tabloid media, so the people now and the tabloid media reacting to these statements, they're already crying out for the BBC to be defunded. So they're using this as ammunition to be like, oh, the disgusting BBC. Well, can they survive this scandal? Well, they're a huge machine of many different departments and systems, like this 1990s journalism team and the people who also covered up for Jimmy Savile. They're not in any way related to the creative arts teams or the producers of like Reggie Yates documentaries that we really do need and they're worthwhile and artistic and that the license fee payer like is 
enriched for having produced. So they need to chill out because the BBC does a lot of good. And also the phone hacking tabloids criticize methods of gaining information. The idea of that is bonkers to me. Like, oh, look at all the papers that are crying out. This Martin Bashir interview was wrongly obtained. What? Like you weren't chasing her down every single day and hacking her phones. If they even had phones to hack in the 90s. I mean, taking telescope lens photos of her on yachts. There you go. I'm acutely aware, by the way, that so many of you use this podcast as a means to fall asleep. I don't feel threatened or insulted by that information. I actually love it. The podcast is usually 30 minutes to 40 minutes long, 45, and it's the perfect amount of time just to listen to a soothing Canadian, which I haven't been very soothing today because I've been fired up all cylinders with three stories so far. But I will try to make the podcast more soothing because now you're falling asleep into a deep, beautiful slumber. Um, And we need sleep. I love to know that I give you the gift of sleep. And secondly, this podcast is a departure from so many male voices in podcasting. I was driving a lot. We were spending time in Devon. Bobby was there. And now we're home back in London. But We drove and we listened to podcasts when we drove and they were podcasts by men, silenced men. (laughs) I love Joe Rogan coming out lately being like, you know, the white man is in danger of being silenced. Doesn't he get, doesn't he get like a podcast with 190 million downloads a week and some type of crazy $200 million deal? I don't even want to look it up because I think it's more money than that. But I mean, if that is being canceled, cancel me up. Cancel me up, daddy. Um, So I think it's nice to listen to women's voices on podcasts too. Just a different vibe. And you'll be able to listen to my voice on the Audacity audiobook. Many have asked, will you be releasing an audiobook with the book in September? Yes. I wrote the book entirely myself. It's available for pre-order now. Pre-ordering helps the artist. I'm not sure how. I think it puts the book up in the charts and it makes the publishers more comfortable. It certainly financially doesn't impact me one way or another, but it helps me in terms of like pleasing my superiors. It's available half off on Amazon. And I didn't know why, because it's not even out. And the pre-sales are doing well. I know this because I'm signing a lot of books myself and my arm hurts. So that feels like a lot. I haven't been counting, but I'm sore. And I asked my publishers, I was like, hang on a sec. And they said, don't worry, Catherine, loads of books are half off on Amazon. They make these decisions themselves. They have a different retail structure than independent retailers or your local retailers. Kudos to you if you want to support local retailers. I love that. I get it. You're exactly the people who support artists. You're more likely to. But, you know, if you're wanting to buy it off Amazon, they have a different thing where they can do half off And that's their own business. And that's why Amazon is Amazon. And if you're single and you feel like you have a chance with Jeff Bezos, please take it. Who will be his next ex-wife? What will she invest in after that settlement? I don't know. But um, get him while he's hot. And crucially, I would love it if you purchase the Audacity for pre-order. If you're going to get it in September anyway, I do that all the time. I buy myself things and then I forget and then it comes in the post. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it helps the artist, even if that artist is not me. Any artist that you like, 
Like Jimmy Carr has a book coming out in September as well. If you pre-order that, it helps him. I've pre-ordered it already. Jack Guinness, he's a good friend. Well, he's not a good friend. He's like a friend, someone I admire, a really sexy male model. I really think he's funny and cool. He's got the Queer Bible coming out. That's coming out in June. I pre-ordered it probably two months ago. Why? Because I'm a patron of the arts, and you can too. Um, All That Glitters is coming back, and we're looking for jewelers. So if you enjoyed that show on BBC Two, um, please get in touch. Go to my socials or go to the BBC website, click on All That Glitters, and you submit your friend who is a jeweler. You submit yourself. Back yourself. And I know there are jewelers up and down this nation who are so talented and working, maybe you're self-taught and you're like, oh, I can't go on a show like that. You can, you must, and we'll get to hang out in Birmingham for like six weeks, min, six weeks, min. And my whole family's coming up to film it. So, you know, if it's COVID free, you might even meet my kids and Bobby K. I did not watch Eurovision. I went to Sarah Pascoe's house instead because it was her birthday. And if you'd like to see the marabou orange and pink dress that she wore, that's obviously up on her gram. Happy birthday, Sarah. But I know that everybody else watched Eurovision because the UK, I mean, if you're listening from outside the UK, British people do this weird thing where they love nostalgia. So what was once good and maybe isn't great now, they'll hold on to just because it's been around a long time. So examples, Coronation Street, EastEnders, Pasties, Eurovision, Grim Norton. They just will hold on to it and be like, this is an iconic evening of British television. So it's been happening since I think the 60s, definitely the 70s, because that's when ABBA one with their song Waterloo in 1974. And then they went on to be like one of the biggest bands ever. Most re- popular recording acts of all time. I'm going to put it out there. This is very divisive. I don't like ABBA. Yeah. And I hate Mamma Mia. Hate that play. Hated. Well, I haven't seen the film. Why would I see the film when I hated the play? But it just irks me. And I've had to watch little snippets of live performance, sometimes at awards. They're like, and now we're rolling out the cast of Mamma Mia. I'm like, (laughs) something about ABBA doesn't vibe with me. Does that mean ABBA sucks? Absolutely not. It's just that not everything is for everyone. So you can take comfort in that. If someone doesn't like you, you know, they might be nobody trash bag Catherine Ryan and you might be ABBA. It's cool. Anyway, if you don't know what Eurovision is, iconic evening of British television where European countries compete with song entries. And those entries will be ranked by professional juries from each country and public voting. We had Katie Price as our entry. I think she was our entry. Your entry doesn't have to be from your country, though it often is. So Celine Dion, I believe, is the most famous winner. Sorry, Abba. Celine Dion won in 1988. She represented Switzerland with the song Ne Partez Pas Sans Moi which Joanne and the French-speaking listeners will know means don't leave without me. It's a great show. People have parties. It's very flamboyant and camp and very European. And there are a lot of lasers. And the type of music is just, I mean, if you can watch it, you must. So the UK entry this year, it was a tricky one. So it's a man called James Newman. 
He was meant to compete last year in 2020. And I remember I worked with him or I saw him on something and I thought, oh, what a nice man. And he sang, maybe he was on Sunday brunch with me because he sang the song that was going to be his entry. And it was a beautiful song. It was called Take My Breath Away or Give You My Last Breath. Yeah, My Last Breath. And that was going to be his entry, but COVID ruined it all and he didn't get to do it. And I suppose... You know, he couldn't come back this year with My Last Breath. It's, you know, probably a better song, more sensitive choice than during a pandemic that is a degenerative lung disease virus. You don't really want to take My Last Breath. But it was a great song. And James Newman is the older brother of John Newman, who you might know as a British recording artist that works with Rudimental a lot. He had some number one hits. He sold like over a million records. He has a very, ooh, like old-fashioned, almost Johnny Cash-style voice. But they're brothers, and they're both very talented writers as well. So James Newman competes for the UK, some new song about burning embers, because he couldn't sing the, the breathlessness lung disease one, and he received zero points. So the point system works like this. Professional juries from each country will choose their 10 favorite performances, giving 12 points to their favorite, 10 points to their second favorite, and so on. And so after all the jury points have been awarded, then there are still more points because the results of the public vote were announced. This dude got nil points, zero points, which is fucking iconic to come dead last. Not even the UK jury gave him any points. They were like, nope, this is not the song for us. And I just feel like that's how you want to go out. That is the perfect end to Eurovision. And he handled it brilliantly. He was popping champagne, spraying it all around like zero points. You want to get snake eyes. And in fairness, like, again, who am I? I didn't love the song. I liked last year's song better. Didn't love the outfit. Didn't love the fact that there were zero women on stage. It was a very sausagey, festy performance. And it wasn't the style of Eurovision. You know, it was a real kind of, I don't know, poppy UK song. But it was great. And James Newman has a wonderful future and he's a great artist. And getting zero points is iconic, James. I love it. Is legendary. Just nil points. And watching everyone's face just be like, oh. If you got two points, 10 points, 100 points, you know, embarrassing. Zero points. Great. Italy were the winners. They did some rock and roll thing in snakeskin jumpsuits. And I didn't appreciate that vibe or the outfits. Nor the lead singer using cocaine live on the BBC. This is a clip that you can find online. And I'm sorry, I know it's probably illegal to say he was using cocaine because I can't prove it. I wasn't there. But if you watch the clip, they don't really know they're on camera. There are all these different tables, kind of like, you know, any award show that you would see. They all have like cabaret style seating. They have loads of pitchers of beer and drink on the table blocking things. And they just cut to the table briefly. His bandmates are screaming. His other bandmate notices the camera, nudges him, is like, uh, uh, uh. But he doesn't really notice, probably because he's fucked off his tits. And then he leans over and snorts something very clearly off the table. Guys, I don't take drugs. I have never, ever even been offered cocaine. I've never taken cocaine. Someone very hurtfully said to me one time, well, that's probably because you look like you bring your own. That hurt my feelings. But, you know, I'm here to tell you that there are some cool kids who are straight edge, like I am, 
But I also know as a 37-year-old woman of the world, this guy was definitely, definitely snorting cocaine off the table. But the band are refuting claims anyway. So today they've come out offering to get tested, denying that they take drugs. I mean, you'll have to watch the clip and choose for yourself. But this is what they put on their social media. We are really shocked about the... Can I do an Italian accent? Is that xenophobic? Because is that one of the ones that I'm allowed to do? Like, because I played a lot of Mario growing up. I'm just doing like a Mario Brothers accent. It's a me, a Mario. We are really shocked uh, about the what people... No, I don't think I'm allowed. So what accents can I do then? Canadian. Irish, badly. I can't even do Irish well. Welsh. Am I allowed to do any white accent? Well, then that would include Italian. Look. To stay on the safe side, I'm just not going to do an accent. But here's a statement. We're really shocked about what some people are saying about Dami, Damiano doing drugs. All right. If your name's Damiano, you're definitely, definitely doing drugs. <laughs> Damiano doing drugs. We are really against drugs and we never used cocaine. We are ready to get tested because we have nothing to hide. We are here to play our music and we are so happy about our Eurovision win and we want to thank everyone for supporting us. Rock and roll never dies. We love you. We'll hang on. You can't have both. You can't have we are really against drugs and we have never used cocaine and rock and roll never dies. No, pick a lane, Demiano, and stick in it. Either rock and roll never dies, fuck the police, fuck you, I did whatever I wanted at the music gig, or... We are really against drugs. And what about this bit? We are shocked about what some people are saying. Be real. Like you're not. Worst case scenario is you're going to lose your Eurovision trophy. Oh, well, like be rock and roll and be like, we're not shocked. We're not shocked at all that you think I was taking. If you didn't take cocaine, you should be like, I'm not at all shocked because I have eyes and I can see that it clearly 100% looks like crack is whack and I was taking cocaine and my bandmate was nudging me trying to get me to stop but I was too off my tits to notice and I was in a snakeskin jumpsuit playing a rock and roll song (laughs) I took cocaine I get how it looks however I had crushed up some parma violets earlier and I just like the sugar rush and that's what I was snoring off the table just say you're not shocked be like yeah that's totally what it looks like but it wasn't And I'll take a test if that's what you want. But to say you're shocked and you hate drugs, but rock and roll never dies. Fuck off, whatever this band's name is. I'm sorry, but no, no, no. No, no. So watch that clip if you can. Should they have their win taken away? Some people are saying they should be disqualified. That is not up to me. I mean, what what is rock and roll anymore? What you must not do in any circumstances is award any of those points to James Newman, the UK entry. Yeah, he did it without drugs. He got no points. He came dead last. And that is the vibe that the UK is projecting right now. And I think we can be proud of it. It's May 23rd right now. I have a big show at the O2 Forum in Kentish Town on May 27th. That's a Thursday. Lots of people have asked me if that's still going on. It is a live podcast of telling everybody everything. It is still going on. It's been sold out for a long time. But, you know, some people might still be scared about going out. So if I were you and I was alone or maybe with one more person, I might turn up and see if I can get a last minute ticket. Who 
knows. It's exactly the type of dice that I would be prepared to roll. I've done it before and I got to see Hamilton. Now let's listen to some important words from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'll answer your emails. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Here is a spicy email titled, I'm healthy, wealthy, rich, and that bitch. But at what cost? Mm. Catherine, I'm a 22-year-old poet and recent, well, I can tell you're a poet by the title of your email, and recent graduate in the UK. So recently, coronavirus canceled my last term of uni and I became a cam girl. I was approached about the opportunity after a lot of manifesting over money making, and I was also being hot and existing. Although apprehensive at first, I've since been making up to $500 a week, which might not sound like much, but having worked in the service industry since 16 and being from a working class family, it's a lot for very little. I agree. I don't personally, for lack of a better term, show my asshole or vag on camera, and I don't use toys. Although plenty of women do, and that's their choice, I've found you don't need to be pulling out all the stops because men are not bright. All I'm really doing is sitting from the neck down in a sexy top, doing what I can only describe as a slutty interpretive boob dance with occasional flash and a lot of flirting type, flirty typing. It's legit. Oh my God. So, okay. Right away, it kind of, and this isn't a reflection on, you know, you or your business or whatever. I like it because you maintain your anonymity, which is great for, you know, your future life changes, choices, whatever. You never showed your face. But I hate the idea that you're just a torso. Because whenever I watch like these murder documentaries or anything else, like there's such a thing about a woman's torso. So right away, just like off the tip of my tongue, I'll tell you that jumped out to me like, but whatever. I mean, men like a torso, I guess. Or really hate a torso if you're watching NCIVS. I get paid weekly and I'm making more than I ever have. I have the flexibility and support to focus on my creative ambitions. As a bonus, my nine grand a year acting degree is being used against all odds in this interpretive boob dance. There's just one thing, the kind of person that I attract. I've been aware for a while that I am a fetish. I noticed this before, but marketing myself on an adult website has highlighted this to me. I'm a fair-skinned, petite girl with freckles and red hair. On a day-to-day basis, I'm encountering pedophiles who make it immediately clear that they have called because they think I look young. Usually, I would get a thrill from playing a part and rinsing them for their money paid per minute, but when they make it clear that this is what I'm fulfilling for them, 
It makes me question what I'm doing and it changes my attitude toward what I do entirely. I don't want to give up this opportunity as it's changed my life, but I don't want to facilitate something sick and twisted. And I don't want to sacrifice my own morality and character for monetary sake. I would say about a quarter of those who call me are obviously latent pedophiles. I've also thought about it from the perspective of that I'm finally living my dream of being one of the actors on Chris Hansen's Dateline, but at what cost? Okay, so Chris Hansen is a presenter in America on Dateline. He used to have this show called How to Catch a Predator. And a young looking woman who was actually an adult investigator would lure these pedophiles to meet her. And she'd be like, come on this way, let's talk. And they'd go into the house and then they'd be confronted with all these lights and cameras and Chris Hansen being like, hey, what the fuck? And some of them would run and get tackled to the ground and others would sit there and cry and be in an interview about it. Okay, so my answer is that our entire culture is sick with this, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. The way that Britney Spears was marketed and Christina Aguilera was marketed and the way that we fetishize young women's virginity and the fact that Ariana Grande looks fucking nine, like no offense to Ariana Grande, but I know that all of that is very purposeful and taps in to an aspect of some very deviantly sick men and women too. We want to look young we are a culture obsessed with youth and we want to wax our bikini lines we want to be small and skinny and quiet and subservient and this isn't all of us but like you say a quarter of your customers and like a large part of the population is sick with this and this is why so many of us get angry and even all the epstein scandals and everything else like i am not surprised by any of it i am routinely sickened And it's got to stop, but it's so pervasive in every angle in our culture. And I know lots of women like you who identify as like, oh, you know, I'm petite or I'm not hugely endowed. And so I get these guys, I worry that they're a pedophile. That should not be on your shoulders because just the same as a woman's bigger body is beautiful, your petite body is beautiful, you're a grown woman, you are not a child and you don't have any responsibility toward this. If I were you, I'd definitely keep staying on the site, making money if you feel comfortable and confident. Um, I'd worry that interacting with these men might start to chip away at your mental health. Forget about, you know, your morality. You're not doing anything wrong, but is it going to hurt you being confronted by these men all the time? I hope that you're talking to someone smarter than me about that. And also, I would definitely never write them back as a child. I would never be like, yes, daddy, I'm... Don't ever do that. I mean, if you want to change the world one little Chris Hansen, how to catch a predator at a time when you're texting them, you might be like, I am a woman and I have a lot of goals and I'm ambitious and I'm not a child. And if I were a child, then this would actually not be naughty and wrong, but it would be quite fucking sick. So it's great that I'm not a child because a lot of these men, too. I'm I'm hoping would never, ever, ever, ever act on any of this or procure indecent images online, you know, like I'm really vanilla and I don't have any fantasies and I suck and I'm boring, but I'm sure people have loads of fantasies about like naked horse riding and stuff that they wouldn't do. I mean, I, I hope you have a really decent, like good sex therapist to make sure that none of this hurts you. 
But by participating in this website, you are certainly not hurting anyone and you are a fully grown adult. Oh, good. Two lesbians and all the questions because I don't like this podcast getting too heteronormative. I have had some lesbians reach out and be like, why don't you include more lesbians? But those lesbians don't ask questions. So maybe lesbians know all the answers already. I'm not sure. But these lesbians have asked some questions. Catherine, my girlfriend and I of nearly four years always get asked, oh, because you guys are fielding all the questions. Okay. Questions because we're in a same-sex relationship. We regularly talk openly about our relationship, and of course, I never mind answering anything LGBTQ plus related, but sometimes people ask really odd things. The most popular one has to be, will you both be getting pregnant at the same time? I'm not joking you. Almost everyone we meet will ask us this. I have to laugh and explain to them, can you imagine being pregnant and the one person you rely on for comfort and support is also going through the same thing? It seems ridiculous. Like, who's going to rub my feet if we're both busting at the seams? We also get asked questions like, who's the guy in the relationship? Surely you'll be adopting, like it's only gays who adopt. My favorite is, how do you have sex? If you need to ask that question, you ain't doing it right. I don't know if it's because I'm in a same-sex relationship that I find these questions wildly inappropriate and uneducated, or if they're genuinely innocent and curious questions. What are your thoughts as a heterosexual woman? Hashtag queer inclusive. I mean, we, I think all of the above. These questions are inappropriate, uneducated, and they're innocent and curious. I find that there are loads of well-meaning people who are rude and they don't know how lesbians have sex or like two women in a sexual scenario have sex. And I'll be very honest with you. Yeah you don't always know how heterosexual people have sex. You know, it's not always the same way, certainly not the same like preferences or positions or anything else. So like I can imagine how two women have sex. I know like, I know at least up to third base. (laughs) And then then I'm sure some of them use toys and some of them don't just like heterosexual couples. And some of them have like some form of penetration and some of them don't. And like, just like heterosexual couples, some of them have a lot of like clitoral stimulation and some of them don't. But like, look, it's no one's business. They ask questions because they're rude. Um, and maybe they feel close enough to you that they can get the answer. Like it depends on if these are your good friends or if these are strangers. I would say based on personal experience, a lot of people and media outlets have been asking me questions, which I feel are intrusive lately. And I just say, I don't know. I don't know. Have fun with it. You know, if someone says, will you both be getting pregnant at the same time? Just be like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we'll put several embryos back, three each. Try to have sex tuplets. Lesbians can do anything. Maybe we'll get a partner. You know, we could be three lesbians, start a reality show. Just give some stupid answer. How do lesbians have sex? Oh, shit. I don't know. Do you think that's going to come up? Oh, fuck. I hope it doesn't. Like, I, I don't know. Shit. Do I need to get a hammer? Like, how do you think lesbians have sex? What should I try? Like, just, you know, be rude back. One last one. Hi, Catherine. I just finished listening to your recent podcast on Chrissy Teigen. 
I must admit, I didn't get why way back in 2012 she would be tweeting such terrible things. I most certainly haven't gone out of my way to troll her about it, but just internally I thought, oh wow, that's really harsh. Anyway, it got me thinking. We have all been mega twats in the past, myself included. When I was 18, I was a bit of a knob. I knew it all, and I thought it would be okay to drive home after a couple of wines with the gals. I was over the limit by a little, but I was still over the limit. And hey, I got stopped. I got arrested. I got banned for driving, and I was heavily fined, rightly so. Fast forward 20 years. I have a great job, good family. I feel like I'm a decent human, apart from that time of the month. Oh, well, give yourself a break. And when I go home to visit family, those people cannot stop bringing it up. They'll say, oh, are you drinking tonight? I'll say, no, I have the car. And they'll joke, never stopped you before. I know this is nowhere near the level of trolling and canceling that Chrissy Teigen is experiencing, but I mean, I fucked up badly, but it was 20 years ago. We'll do things now. And then in a few years time, we'll say, oh, cringe. But that is how we evolve and learn. It's a harsh lesson learned, and I would like to think that I've used this terrible experience to prevent other people from driving over the limit. I would never dream of even smelling alcohol and driving now. We all do grow and mature over the years, and I seriously think we all just need to chill out, stop hating on people all the time for mistakes they made decades ago. There have been a lot of responses. One just came through. I forgot to turn my volume off. So you heard a little email ping. People have mixed views about my Chrissy Teigen podcast. They're like, well, she told a teenager to kill herself. Yes. And we have all established that that's wrong. But I think I've been thinking about it a lot this week. When I was growing up, my mom would say, oh, we don't make jokes like that. We don't make ourselves feel better by hurting other people. You know, that was the narrative when you were young. You learned what was off limits. You learned what people could and couldn't control. You learned boundaries. And the narrative was, you know, making someone feel bad to make yourself feel better is wrong. I feel like with cancel culture, that's what it's become. At first, I thought it was trying to make things better. It was correcting bad behavior and holding people accountable and saying, no, don't do that. That makes people feel really bad. But now I think it's all about likes and getting rewards and actually, again, the good people, the like warriors out there are just searching to expose someone sometime, somewhere from something and make them feel bad, make themselves feel good. So it's like a different incarnation of the same bullying all over again. Do you know what I mean? People will be like, look. Look what they did. Look at that. That person is so bad. And then they get 100 likes for pointing that out. And they've just done the same thing that we learned was wrong when we were four. They've made themselves feel good by making someone else feel bad. So don't be bad. We've all been bad. I think there are things worth canceling over. Um, You know, Harvey Weinstein, good riddance. But surely there are a lot of things that people are searching for in comedy, in celebrity, in everywhere, and trying to find for like self-gratification. And I hate that. So thank you for your email. 
Thank you for listening to another Telling Everybody Everything. Please tell your friends about our podcast. Um, I love when you share it on social media. I really appreciate all your emails. I'm sorry that I didn't get to many this week. They always roll over. I'll go through them again and get to as many as possible. And I will be answering some of the emails live on the podcast Thursday, which I'll be recording and releasing next week. And it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. There are some reveals that can no longer be hidden. I'm also going to have some guests um, Skyping in, FaceTiming and Zooming and I don't really know the platform that will be used. But you'll be seeing my family members live and virtually. This is a live show. Like people, there are drinks in bags that you can buy and drink and you get to sit in a real seat and see people. So I just can't wait. I will see you for that on Thursday at the O2 Forum in Kentishtown if you have a ticket or if you can get a ticket. And then I'm going out to dinner with my tour manager, Annie. So see you soon. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com